Well, we are going to be uh, continuing our series in 1 John, and our topic today is love. And so I wanted to encourage you to take out your bulletin, and if you open it up to the inside of the bulletin, you have a section with our sermon notes, and I wanted to encourage you to write the words, love is. Love is, and then maybe a colon. And I'd like you to take a minute to go ahead and uh, finish that sentence. In your experience, what is the rest of that sentence? Maybe it's something that you've learned through life, that love is, or something that God has taught you about what love is. So take a minute, fill that in, and I want to share with you an experience that I had where I feel like God really gave me a definition for what love is. And it was a while back, it was a cold, dark night. And this sounds like it's a fake story, but it's actually a true story. It was a cold, dark night. It was probably in the 40s. And it was in the middle of the night, and it was raining outside. And I was underneath a canvas, it's actually just a tarp that was formed into a makeshift shelter. Uh, that actually I didn't fully make. It was actually made by a bunch of teenagers. See, I was a counselor, and 24 hours earlier, we had been stripped of our watches, and we had been let loose, and there was about three different groups on the hillside of Mount Hood, which is up in Oregon, which is a volcano, uh, and it's up there, and it's covered in snow most of the year, and there, were, there was a path, but there was a lot of snow, and early that morning we had been set free to go out there. We had been given a compass and a map, and we were on this wilderness experience. And so throughout the morning, you know, we ran into some other groups, and there was somebody that needed some help. They were slower than us, and we seemed to be just marching right along. And we were about... We, we got to an area where we were able to set up camp, and it was getting dark, and it was getting cold, and it was getting wet, and so we put up a couple canopies, or what are those, yeah, tarps, and with ropes, and we stretched it all out, and I had no longer just like got down into my sleeping bag and, and started to warm up that it was, this was like probably about like, 9.30 at night, but it was like dark already, right? And we get this call, and it says, Hey, uh, Jeff, Jeff, you, you out there? I'm like, uh, yeah. And he said, you know, hey, things aren't going too well over here. Uh, anyway, just wanted you to know where some of the kids are uh, really cold and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll pray for you. And... Uh, you guys, you guys take care. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was a few hours later, I was asleep, and I get another call. And it was, Jeff, Jeff, you out there? I was like, yeah, 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 I'm here. And, well, the tarp that we had just closed in on us, and one of the girls got totally drenched, and, uh, they seemed to be, like, experiencing hypothermia, because she's shaking, like, a lot. And we already were changed into all of our dry clothes. And so I'm like, okay, no problem. And so we go out and, we, and I, I tell the, my like, assistant camper, like, all right, we got to go. We got to go. And so 
they were down the hill a little way, so we have to go out and uh, out back into the cold, into the rain, into the almost ice, but it's because they, they needed something, and they came over, and uh, there's a whole group of them. We had about 12 to, you know, 12 or 14 people already underneath our little tarp, and we were going to have to now share this space with 12 more and their counselors. And so by the end of the night, I mean, well, so they, they come over here and we, we figure it out, you know, but like all the girls, they need to change. And so we had all of our dry clothes, right, that were like wrapped up in the black sack, right, all protected. So everybody gets out their dry clothes to give to them. So all the boys are standing out in the cold just waiting for the girls to get ready, you know. And, and then well, I guess we changed out there. I don't know how that worked. But like then, so then we're all like trying to get back into the space and they're cold and they're, and they're scared and they're hungry and, and, and finally we all start to fall asleep. And you, you couldn't really fall asleep. I mean, as soon as that little rock on your side finally was so uncomfortable you had to turn, like you rotate, you know, and then like, well, that made somebody who was like down on your feet have to turn and then, then and that, and it was like this like, you know, like, and soon everybody has to rumble over and then, but it was crazy. The next morning as we were laying there in my head, you know, laying on Mount Hood, basically, uh, there was an earthquake deep down inside of the mountain. Just like, just like, it was just amazing. And it was through that experience that I felt like God taught me that love, like real love is when you have to give up your comfort in order to make somebody else more comfortable. That's when love, you know, it's like when and now it's, it's a little different. It's when I'm cozy in bed and my wife says, hey, would you mind turning the, the fan on? It's like, would you mind turning the fan on? <laughs> no, you know, because I'm comfortable. But it's making myself uncomfortable for a moment so that somebody else can be more comfortable. Or if it's approaching somebody that, that you don't know. Or getting yourself into a situation that you don't know how it's going to work out or you know that it's going to make you uncomfortable. Right? So what is love? We all have these experiences and these definitions. In our passage today, we're in 1 John, and that's our topic today. And so how does John get us there? The main point is we should love one another. Well, why? Let's read 1 John 3, 10 to 15. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So, how does John say it? So in verse 10 and 11, we really have a transition. So if you haven't been a part of a whole series, you're kind of jumping into the middle of an argument, the middle of a conversation. But not only do we have this, verse 10 is kind of like a summary statement of really everything, maybe not everything, but like this whole topic that he was just talking about, the last 11 verses. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. And so the topic has been sonship and identity. Are you born of God? 
and how that relates to sin and righteousness. Being a child of God, from chapter 2, verse 28 to verse 3 of, verse 9 of chapter 3, is evident by doing right. God's children are born of God. They do the right things. The devil's children, born of the devil, do the wrong things. So there's a distinction being made, and there's evidence that we can look for. When you see the evidence, we can be sure of one thing. God's children who are born of God do what's right. And here's the pivot. If you're not, or if someone is not doing what's right, they're not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother. That's a quote from verse 10. Especially the one who does not love his brother. And that brings us to verse 11, the main point. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We should love one another. So then, we ask, well, why? Why should we love one another? And there's four four aspects that I want to draw out. And the first is right from those first two verses. That the most right thing, wow, that popped. the, The most right thing that you can do is love. The rightest, the most right, the rightest thing that you can do is to love. You see that in those verses? So that's number one. And number two is, number two, love keeps us from hate. Unlike Cain, verse 12, unlike Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So what we have here is we have this negative example of the one who sins, hating the one doing the right thing. And then verse 13 says, do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. I don't know, do you want to hear a story? It's short. So when I was a kid, I kind of got mad at my sister for something. I actually told her, I was like, Katie, don't, don't, and I was, I was mad at her for, for doing something, but in the end, she was kind of doing the right thing, and it was actually me that was doing the wrong thing. So I'll throw my other sister into this. Amy and I made this zip line, right? And this zip line was cool, right? It stretched from one tree branch way up in this tree down across the yard all the way down to this other tree that had been cut off. It was just a stump, and it was, it was a beautiful thing, and we found this pulley system that we could use. The pulley would slide down, and you would hang on to it with this, with this towel. And so, oh, my other sister's not in here. Oh, she's at the treetops. That's too bad. So I did it, and I went down the zip line, and I was the coolest thing ever. And then Amy did it, and she went down the zip line, and she was the coolest thing ever, the second coolest thing ever. And then it was Katie's turn, and she wanted to do it too. And I was like, okay. All right, I get, Katie, no, we don't, no, you don't want to do this, Katie. You're going to get hurt, you're going to run, and you're going to tell mom. No, I won't. Okay, okay. So we get her up there in this tree, and it's about six, I could probably, t- eight feet high, but then she's on a zip line, right? And so she goes, and somehow as she's going, she decides to shred that towel into two, Right? And it, she's just like, rips it apart and falls on her. Okay, so it's, it's the towel broke, right? It, just the towel broke. And she falls on her back and lands on this picnic bench. <laughs> right below, which is actually a good thing because under the picnic bench, which is concrete, 
And she, at first I thought she was going to be cool about it, because she wasn't saying anything. <laughs> and then I realized there was something else going on. Because when she first got her breath, she's like, I'm telling! And we're like, no, 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 you can't tell. Don't tell Katie, it's okay, bro. And she's like looking at us, and she's like trying to figure us out, and she finally just darts into the house. And we're like, oh, we knew it. How could she do this to us? Terrible sister that she is. And here I was in that moment, hating her. And guess what? My mom sided with her and opens up that, I can still hear, goes, the screen door. Jeffrey, Amy, you tear that thing down. Oh, Katie. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny. The, the ones, I mean, really, like, she didn't do anything wrong. Like, she was in the right. And here I was mad at her. You know what I mean? Do you experience the world hating you? Why? Why does the world hate you? Why would they hate you? Why should they hate you? It says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. And there's this interesting thing. It's like, it seems like the world is hating us when we're doing the, the right thing. It's when you bring the aroma to Jesus, of Jesus that we should come to expect that the world hates us. Not when you bring your own hate. Not when you bring your own prejudice. Not when you bring your own anger, your own indifference. Of course, hate follows hate. But what would cause the hate that we should come to expect? Because he says, don't be surprised, my brothers. What should cause the hate? Doing the right thing. You know, doing the right thing makes people react. It's kind of like the light, when you turn a light on in a room, right? You turn the light on in a room, well, if it was dark beforehand, and so I thought about having them do that, like have it get real dark and just like turn all the lights on in the room, and just watch you guys' reaction, because you'd probably go, you'd, you know, you'd flinch, you'd turn it off, send it away. But we are a light of the world. And in Matthew 5, verse 14, it says, You're a light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lamp, lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, or, but rather they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light for all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You're supposed to be the light of Jesus. Whether that offends or compels, that's Jesus' problem. But we have to do the right thing. But how do we become okay with the world hating us for these things? Well, don't be surprised that the darkness hates the light. And don't shrink back from those that hate you for doing the right thing and sticking to it. You're being the light. So we've seen that, number one, love is the rightest thing that you can do. And number two, love keeps us from hate. And now number three is love participates in life. So verse 14, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. 
The one who does not love remains in death. In what ways would love have changed the story of Cain and Abel? You know, if Cain loved Abel, he wouldn't have harmed him, wouldn't have killed him, thought ill of him, wanted negative things to happen to him. Proverbs 10, verse 12 says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all offenses. In fact, hatred results in dissension, because people who despise each other can hardly work or live together in peace. And love, it contributes towards peace, because it, it covers or it forgives the faults of others. It doesn't dwell on those faults. The word covers there is the word kasa. It's the same as word it's elsewhere rendered overwhelms. Love would have covered over all those things. Like an oil. I was thinking about this. Love is it's like an oil that makes things that are rough smoother and easier to glide over. Like a bicycle. My kids want me to spray WD-40 on their bicycle wheels so that all of a sudden they can go faster right? <laughs> a little bit of oil to the bearings and suddenly it's just a little bit easier. Like the tin man, the tin man who needed oil and all his joints, all his rusty joints. My mouth. I was thinking about that. And suddenly the oil, it just seeps down into the cracks, into the, the ugliness where the friction is and where, where the, the, the pain resides. A way where there is no movement before. No freedom. That's kind of like what love is. You know, next week we're actually going to continue. We're going to learn more about what live, love is. And what it looks like in our lives. Verse 16 and beyond. But are there situations that you need to start applying love? Maybe a strong helping of love is what you need in order to break up some of the friction in your life. And move these relationships towards freedom and restoration. The human condition, jealousy and pride and greed, lust, hostility, all swallowed up by the life that's found in Jesus. And reoriented in this life and because of his life and his sacrifice towards a life of love. I was thinking about, what is this life? This life is the full and the abundant life that Jesus promises to those who believe in him. The life he offers is like that spring of water that, that wells up within a man so that never running dry. It's full because it's a life that's most fully aware. Aware of its creator, the heavenly father. And there's fellowship with him. You and God, that's the life that Jesus offers. It understands life because it's full of wisdom and it's full of understanding because it knows the Son who is full of wisdom and truth. Jesus, who gives generously both knowledge and wisdom to those who ask with faith. This life is most fully aware of the joy of this human existence. Experience the highest of joys 
delighting in the most miraculous beauty. That's the life he offers us. And it's also most fully aware of the deepest sorrows, like our suffering servant, Savior Jesus. We weep over the lost, and we share in the pain of those who suffer loss. We feel the sadness and the grief of those who march down the path of destruction towards a certain end. This is the abundant life. Paul said, I want to know him, the power of sharing in his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. The abundant life experiences it all in Christ. So love participates in the abundant life, while the one who does not love abides in death. Number four, hate remains in death. So the verse 14 and 15, at the end of 14, it said, the one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, verse 15. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Hating your brother, it's a, it's a murderer's mental state, a murderer's heart. The mind of a murderer wants a person gone, wants that person dead. Don't allow hate to grow in your heart. It's incongruent. It's incongruent to say that life resides in that heart and mind. The hater prefers their comfort. A hater prefers their freedom. A hater prefers their future pleasure, their perceived future pleasure over what is best for their hated, the target, the object of their hate. And it's funny because it's the hater that's so often the one living in the shadows. In John 3, 16 and following, it says, For God so loved the world, for God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This, then, is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. The light shines and the darkness is repulsed. But you know, if we elect to let darkness rule the day, what do we end up with? If we give over to the darkness and they start to and darkness starts to tell us what's going on. We start doing things like we just go ahead and just decriminalize crime. We start to call evil good and good evil. What about lying? Is lying okay? Maybe it's good enough to just blur the lines a little bit between good and evil. Isn't there such a thing as gray? John's so stark here. All we need is just a little bit of a confusion in here. Just, 
just enough to lead us to say, you know, who are we to judge? You know, we see very often today, we see depictions of people. We have, we have bad characters doing a good thing. We have good characters doing a bad thing. Pretty soon, it's just every person doing their own thing. It's all subjective. There's no one way to see it. Sure, Cain murdered Abel, but was it really murder at play? I mean, let's think about this. Let's look at his parents. Maybe this isn't all on Cain. Let's see, where did he grow up? Ooh, outside the garden. Outside the garden of Eden. What were his parents like? Well, dad and mom had a guilt complex. Always looking back. What resources were available to Cain and Abel? Sure, Abel had a lucrative situation, right? I mean, he, animals, they reproduced themselves. And Well, Cain, he was the first generation that ever had thorns and thistles in the ground to deal with. Abel, well, he must have been privileged. I mean, after all, consider their birth order. Let's see, Abel, he was probably babied. I mean, Cain, being older, had a shoulder way more responsibilities and way sooner than Abel ever had. Which kind of reminds me of my house. Why doesn't Emmy have to do chores, Dad? It's just not fair. So do we let Cain off the hook? John doesn't let him off the hook. Hate remains in death. He says, don't be like Cain. Just love and be the light. Even if those of the world hate you. So the command to love each other is clear. We should love one another. Why? Because number one, it's the rightest thing that you can do. Number two, love keeps us from hate. Number three, love participates in life and for hate remains in death. But let's make it personal. So I've already said we should love one another. Let's just assume that you agree, right? So let's get a little closer. I just have two separate thoughts. Number one, this command to love is about right now. It's about right now. It's about today. It's current. It's not like a, a nebulous principle. It's about you loving people during the COVID pandemic, during a Delta surge. It's about you loving people while the hills are burning, while it's hot outside, while you don't feel like you've got everything that you need, while you're feeling hurt or put out by somebody's comments, or worse, their silence, while you don't feel like you fit in, while you feel like everybody else has something that you don't. You must love. This command to love, it's current. And it's about loving those that are close to you, your family members and your friends, your church family, even if they're different now. Even if they seem different now. Even if you aren't sure. Even if they hate you. Even if they misunderstand. Even if they're indifferent to your very existence on this planet. Love them anyway. Love them through it. 
Love them with God's love. This command to love is all-encompassing. I was challenged with this thought a few years ago, and I want to challenge you with it. The way that I'm treating people right now is the way that I treat people in general. The way that I treat people right now is the way that I treat people in general. As I'm walking from here to there, I did a, I thought of this when I was, I was, must have been learning, being challenged in the area of, of love and um, hospitality and everything, and I was thinking about it as I passed between from like my dorm to the class that I needed to go to. And there's just all these people that you're passing by. But the way I am interacting, the way I treat the people that are around me right now is the way that I treat people in general. That's the way, that's the way they perceive Jeff. So as I'm driving down my street, and I'm thinking, what do I got to do when I get home? You know, and three neighbors were out in their yard, and one of them actually tried to wave and, like, smile at me, but I, I, I didn't, I wasn't, you know what I mean? Tunnel vision. You ever been there? Grocery store. It's all-encompassing, this, this command to love, because, because the way that you are loving the world is, is really just a, you could, you could just take like a little snippet, you know what I mean? And that's, it's just an encouragement, a challenge to me to be constantly aware. Am I, am I loving? Am I giving people the time of day? Am I being generous? Am I being generous with my words, my eye contact, my time, my heart? I have a question for you. Do you hold back love from people? And who? And why? So that was the first thought, that this command is about right now. It's current. It's about today. The second thought is this. The command to love one another is reciprocal. Others should love you. It does say, love one another, right? And so I just want to go here for a second. I mean, some of us are really good at letting other people love us. And some of us need to work on it. And while we can't make somebody love us, we can certainly shut it down, right? Have you ever had somebody reject your love? It's really confusing, right? Why are they rejecting you? It doesn't take long for us to respond. Number one, either we get defensive. Well, forget them. I don't like them anymore. Or two, we ask, what's wrong with me? What did I do? So why do we put barriers up? Why do we put barriers up? Barriers that refuse other people's love. Or we make the channel so small. There's some of you out there that need to hear this. You got the barriers up. Or you make the channel so small that they can only love you on these very narrow terms. Catch me on the right day. Catch me in the right mood. With the right method. And maybe I'll let you into my life, my struggle, my joy. Just for a moment. Let people love you. Respond to people. Be present. Be humble. Be receptive. So, what are you going to do today? 
to take from your comfort to make somebody else more comfortable. I hope you filled in your definition there, what love is. And I hope you were encouraged this morning as we just ponder love. And as John challenged us, we should love one another. So let's pray, and we will continue our morning with worship. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your word. And it is direct, God. And it divides, Lord, and it exposes. And I ask that you would show us a way, the way that you want us to be redirected this morning, Lord. And I, I trust that you're, you're working in all of our hearts, God. And that you're moving us to be more and more like your son who showed us the most excellent way. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he's revealed to us the Father and your heart and your character, your compassion and your love. And I ask that you would help us to be full of love this week. In your name we pray, amen.